Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Josh Kinsley, and I uh, serve as an elder here at Redemption Peoria. We're so glad you're here, and we're really excited for Family Sunday. And as you read, we've got a, a robust text to walk through this morning. None of this, uh, no, nothing light this morning, but I think we're really going to have a good time in God's Word. Um, and I, but I was thinking, though, for Family Sunday, normally I'm teaching in K through first. And uh, I think we might have a lot of kids that will be wanting to stay in big service because normally the snacks are Cheerios. Now, not the honey nut type, because I know you all are used to the honey nut. This is just the plain Cheerios and water. But they're over here in big service. They're looking at donuts and cold brew coffee. I think we might have a lot more kids saying, Mom and Dad, can I come with you? So, yeah, so we're glad to have the kids. Again, feel free if you guys need to get up. If there's some squirming, need to use the restroom, uh, don't feel bad at all. Um, that's what this Family Sunday is about. We want kids to be exposed to what we're doing here in the main service. So during my time at university, I made a questionable decision to go skydiving. And uh, thankfully, this process, it, it was a good experience. But the whole process started with a lot of warnings. I'll never forget sitting there with my instructor and I mean, he just was deathly serious, and he's like, don't touch this rope. Don't grab this. Listen to the pilot. Do not wear this certain type of clothing. Don't eat right before the jump. He had warnings and warnings and warnings. And I must have signed my life away 10 times to say, hey, I won't sue. My family won't sue. My future children won't sue. It was a lot of warnings. And of course, I, I paid attention. I was really dialed in. You know, and I think they were really serious about it because skydivers that don't make it, that doesn't make for good marketing. So they really had a vested interest in me surviving this experience. So again, I took it really serious. But other warnings are a little bit more confusing. I remember moving to Arizona about 20 years ago and driving into the valley, and I'd see these signs that would say, watch for flash flooding. Warning, flooding could be near. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? What, is this some sort of joke? I don't even see any rain anywhere. I've been here for six months. It hasn't rained. What are all these watch for flash floods? And it wasn't until someone explained to me how you could be literally sitting or standing in a dry spot and a storm that is 10, 15 miles away could be happening. And all of a sudden, this dry stream would come alive with water. In fact, if you've not ever seen this, Go to YouTube and Google flash floods. There are some really interesting videos on there. And I was like, whoa, so, th so these warnings do make sense, but they're not, they're not obvious. But they're there to warn us. So what is a warning? What, what, wh why do they exist? It's because there's a potential for danger. But more importantly, warnings are necessary when the danger is not obvious, when it's not clear. So today we want to look at the book of 1 John, chapter 2, the, the passage that Trevor just read. And John is giving a warning to the church, a warning to us. But thankfully, John does not just warn us, but he also wants to encourage us. He wants to give us wisdom and discernment to navigate these, these challenges, these warnings, this temptation that would face us. The warning is serious. Again, like the, the skydiving, it's, it's serious. But the promised hope is more glorious. So before we get to the actual warning, we just want to do a quick review of 1 John 
just because some of you may have walked in and you're like, First John, what about the original John? What's, what, what is First John? So let's just kind of walk through it. Um, so far in the book, John has been reminding us of the believers in Ephesus. Again, that's, the, that's who this letter was written to, the believers in Ephesus. He's reminding them of the distinctives of the Christian life. What does it mean to be a Christian? And he starts out with the centrality of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus' willingness to go to the cross as a payment for our sins. And this good news, this good news of God's love, it transforms us. It changes us. There's a ripple effect that's kind of natural when this happens in our life. Because he loves us, we begin to walk in the light. Before we're in darkness, but now we begin to walk in the light. It also changes our attitudes towards obedience. We understand that the commandments given to us by God, they are actually for our benefit. They're, they're not a buzzkill. They're not there to put a, a, a damper on our life. They are there for our protection and our benefit. And we get an opportunity to honor God by living life according to his design. John also says, when you've experienced Christ's love, guess what? That love flows through you to other people, to other believers. So we're called to love. And also our attitude towards the world changes. Last week, Pastor Charles, he's talking about things of the world. They're passing away. These things are fleeting. And John's like, don't invest your time and energy in these things that are fleeting. Don't invest your passions there. So let's get into this scripture today and understand what's happening with this warning. So let's read verse 18 again. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. All right, so we've got to talk about the elephant in the room. This term that maybe some of you are familiar with, but perhaps if you're a, a young person, one of the kids here, you're like, that term I'm, I'm not familiar with. What's, what's it all about? And for some people, they hear this term, and it strikes maybe a sense of fear. You hear this term and you're like, man, this sounds like a scary movie. This sounds like something I don't really want to learn about or read about. And I can understand that. So we want to understand, what is John trying to say? What's, what's being said here? He starts out by acknowledging to the readers of this letter that they've probably heard this term. He's like, look, you've heard about the Antichrist before. And in the book of Revelation and in other parts of Scripture, we do learn about a final Antichrist that is talked about. This individual is described as a world ruler that would arise during the final days, during the end times. And this, during this final days, this Antichrist would, would rise up right before the return of Christ. And this would be a person that would be full of deceit, and they would lead many people astray. And again, we could spend a lot of time talking about this, and we probably will in the fall series on Revelation, but, but John is quick to say, you've heard about this, this character, this final Antichrist. He's like, but we're not going to talk about that guy today. We're not really worried about him. We are worried about, or I want to warn you about the Antichrist, plural, that are right here in your midst, that are right here in your community. And, you know, again, this kind of begs the question, okay, so who are these Antichrists, or what, what are they doing? And and I can almost hear 
uh, you know, my K through first class, you know, because normally in class in K through first, if you don't have kids, we'd all be sitting down in a circle. We'd all be sitting here, and, you know, it's a lot of pepper back and forth questions, you know. And so I'd be sitting there, and, and I'd say, okay, so who are these antichrists? And, and I can almost hear the kids say, Mr. Josh, is this a trick question? Because they know what the word anti means, right? We all know what that means. It means against. They say, this, these are people that are against Jesus. And you know what, kids? You would be right. These are people that are false prophets. They are hostile to everything that Jesus stands for, everything that Jesus is about. In fact, another really sort of way to define Antichrist is to be, become a substitution for Christ. But here's, here's a, an important note. They are opposing Jesus. They're opposing the gospel, but they're doing it in a deceptive manner. Let's continue reading in verse 19. So they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. There's a lot that we could say about these antichrists, but we're going to spend our time with three observations about what John gives us and who these people are and what they're about. The first one is this. From the outside, from the outside looking in, they did not look like a threat. Notice what John says about these antichrists. They went out from us. And this means that at some point, at some point in this, in this time frame, to the churches that he's writing to, these individuals, they were a part of these churches. They were a part of the churches that John's writing to. These individuals, they were not rebels. They weren't troublemakers. They were hiding in plain sight. And sometimes we often think about the, the biggest threats to the gospel. You know, if you kind of ask someone that question, we tend to think about oppressive governments. We think about corrupt politicians, or we think about maybe big media outlets that are out there undermining the truth. And no doubt, those, those groups, uh, again, we, we don't want to dismiss that in other countries, those groups are suppressing the gospel, and they're doing that here. But John, is, he's not worried about those things right now. He's warning us the, of the more subtle things that distract us from following Jesus. Again, these individuals, they were involved, they were partaking of the fellowship in these churches. But at some point, their real beliefs about Jesus were slowly exposed and they left the community of believers. They were false prophets. They were pretending to be Christians. And John says that their departure from the apostolic church reveals that they were never truly followers of Christ. They may have said certain words, they may have made certain confessions, but their words were hollow. Probably the best visual image that we see in Scripture about these individuals is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. And these are, these are the words of Jesus, and he's, he's warning his disciples, and really anyone that's listening, he says, watch out for false prophets, because they come like wolves in sheep's clothing. And in fact, I'm sure if the kids are, are in here, there's... There's, there are various children's stories that focus on this, you know, the, the, the wolf wants to get the pigs, right? And so he dresses up like a sheep and kind of walks up as if though he's not a wolf, he's a sheep. And that's what Jesus is saying. 
These are pretenders, but they are not of us. Let's move to our next observation. These false prophets, they were distorting what matters most in the Christian faith. They were twisting the truth about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Let's continue reading verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So these false teachers, they are not just believing and spreading lies about things that are on the outskirts of Christianity. These are not simply people that are wanting to debate and argue about secondary issues. They're not believers that have different views on doctrinal things like spiritual gifts or church governance. They are denying that Jesus is the Christ. There's nothing more important in our faith than this truth. Without the saving message and the hope of Christ, who was fully man, fully God, who lived the perfect life, took the punishment for our sins, washed us clean, and gave us a restored relationship with God, if you take all that away, you no longer have Christianity. But again, we have to remember these false teachers, these false prophets, they're not just trying to get us to forget about Jesus. Really, their, their subtle trick is to get us to look at him differently, to redefine him. You know, yeah, you ever have a conversation with someone and maybe I might be talking to someone and I might say, Jesus is my savior and redeemer. And they might say, Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's a really smart teacher. And I'm like, okay, I said this, but uh, he is smart. He is a teacher, but that's not what I said. I said he's, he's my savior. He's my redeemer. And so this, this distortion, when, when people begin to kind of undermine who Jesus is, it's those subtle changes. Um, imagine if we were all in San Diego, which I'm sure we all wish we were today, on a day when it's 112 or whatever, and we want to take a boat ride to Hawaii. Even better. I'm like, wow, this is really getting good. But let's say we get on that boat and we're headed there, but let's say we just get off by 1%. Because I'm not much of a captain, you know, and I get the reading off, but I'm pretty close. I'm I'm, I'm like, I'm just one degree off. Are we going to get to Hawaii? Anyone, any boaters in here? No, absolutely. We will be lost in the Pacific somewhere, Never to be found will be like Robinson Crusoe, Gilligan's Island. We are not going to be found. We're going to be off the map. So these, these, these false prophets are like, hey, we, we want to get your eyes off the real Jesus and, and, and redefine who he is. So we want to look at one other aspect about what John is saying about these antichrists and the nature of them. John seems to be implying that these antichrists include teachers, preachers, and influencers. Let's read verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Has anyone ever been in the center, or have have you guys been in the mall before? I don't go there a whole lot, but every once in a while I have to pick something up. And there's a part of the mall that I really don't like. It's the center part. You're walking along, and there's these people kind of roaming with these little stands. And they're saying, hey, why don't you come over here and check things out? And they're really persistent. 
The other day, I walked in to pick something up at a store, and I'm walking along, and this guy from T-Mobile, he's just like walking along with me, trying to convince me that I need to change to T-Mobile. And he is persistent. He is trying to bring me in. Now, he's not trying to deceive me. Uh, he really thinks T-Mobile is better. That's fine. But these people, they're not just casually out there. They are trying to deceive us. They're not just people that have walked away from the faith, but they are leaders and teachers that are actively trying to and deceive others about who Jesus is. This is not just an amateur effort, but these are skilled communicators that are trying to distract us from who Jesus really is. So John is serious about this warning. He is wanting to call out these false prophets because they are subtle, influential, and they are attacking what matters most in our faith. This warning is serious like the skydiving, but it's also serious in the flash floods in that it's so subtle, sometimes we don't even know that it's happening. We don't even know that we've been deceived by a false message about Jesus. But before we look at John's encouragement, because right now it's, it's, we've got this serious warning in front of us, but we want to look back at verse 18 and give our attention to a unique phrase. In that, in that verse, verse 18, we see this phrase, the last hour. And we might think, well, what, what is this phrase? Why is John telling us that it's the last hour? John is trying to tell us that we should not be surprised by the arrival and the presence and the temptation of these antichrists. He reminds us that we are in this period of time, the last hour, which is really, again, this is a, a, kind of a term that's used to describe the time between Jesus' um, resurrection and ascension into heaven, and then also his return. And there are scriptures throughout the New Testament that continually talk about that there will be false teachers, they, they will be plentiful, and they will be leading us astray. We see this in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus talking, and he's saying, false prophets, they are going to be around. They're going to lead others astray. And John is wanting us to have our guard up. He's wanting us to be alert. Again, he wants us to have this warning so that we're not just caught off guard. But what's, what's wonderful about John is that he is pastoral in his approach towards the believers. Uh, there was one time where I was in uh, the country of Haiti, and I was there for work, and we were driving to this community called Okade. And uh, the people I was with, they said, now we want to warn you, that to get there, you're going to have to go on this mountain ridge uh, road. And on both sides is just uh, an absolute steep drop-off. And they wanted to warn us, to let us know. And so we all were warned, and we're on this road, and they did not quite do justice to the severity of this road drop-off. They were on this very gravelly, unstable road. The drop-offs are sharp. There is nothing down there to catch us. We're in this Jeep that, eh, I don't know when the last oil change has been. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's good that you warned us. So I'm like, what about some guardrails here on this road? It's great to warn us. And that's what John wants to do. He wants to give us some guardrails because he knows that the whole situation for these believers in Ephesus, it's, this is unsettling. This is, I mean, we would feel very, very hurt, very scared, What's going on? People are leaving. There's these, there's these deceptive teachers out there. 
what's going on? This would be heartbreaking. We wouldn't even understand why. People that we know are, are walking away. And John does not just say, well, here's the warning. Good luck. I hope you're able to persevere. No, but he takes this posture of a loving shepherd and offers us some encouragement to the believers and also to us. He wants, us to, he wants to provide wisdom and encouragement for how to persevere in the midst of this false teaching. So the first principle for, for John's counsel is this, the importance of knowing the truth. It's this principle of knowledge. It seems really simple, but sometimes we can kind of skip over it. Um, kind of in a more formal language, we talk about this word doctrine. But again, really, John uses this word know a lot. So let's read verses 20 and 21. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not have the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. John is reminding these believers, and he's reminding us here in this room that we already have access to, and we know the truth about Jesus. And he knows this because guess what? John, he was one of the eyewitnesses. You know, last week, Pastor Charles was talking about this. He was there. He was there with Jesus. He wrote down these God-inspired details that we needed to know. In fact, that was the purpose of John's gospel. If we read in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it reads like this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here John is saying, I mean, he's just, he's saying, I wrote this evidence and truth down about Jesus. And the purpose was so that it would lead you to belief. And that this belief, that this belief would find, find you and that you would have life in Christ. John is recording these central truths about Jesus, that he was fully man, fully God, lived a perfect life. He was perfectly in step with the Father. He voluntarily went to the cross for our benefit, taking the punishment for our sins and restoring our relationship with God. John wrote this down for us. And now John, he's getting older. He's, in fact, many people believe he was the last apostle at this time, alive. And so he's writing this down. He wants to remind the believers that doctrine is important. That what we know and what we believe about Jesus has eternal significance. And he's writing this down for our benefit that we would know. These are really big themes. In this short book, the Apostle John says, I'm writing to you ten times. He's wanting them to know. like Because again, writing back then was a big deal. It wasn't like he just had a ream of paper and could just like type it out, hit print, send. Writing was painstaking back then. And he's also using this word no. He uses the word no 30 times in the book. It's not a long book, but John is like, I want you to know. Please know this. Because John does not want us to play telephone with this important doctrine. Are you guys familiar with this game? Are the kids, have you guys ever played this game called Telephone Right? How does this go, right? 
Usually you have some sort of phrase, and you whisper it into someone's ear, right? And they whisper it to the next person, and the next person, and it goes around a whole room. And then at the very end, that last person says out loud what they thought was said. And then you kind of laugh because normally it doesn't quite make it all the way. So if, you know, there's a problem, because I might start the phrase with, don't move, there's a gigantic spider sitting behind you. And if that went all the way around the room, it might end up saying, please remove your socks. The spider needs your shoes. And it's like, what? That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're right. Because the message has been messed up, distorted, and ultimately changed. So when it comes to this important knowledge about who Jesus is, John is saying, please go to the source. Go to the scriptures and anchor your faith there. And this helps us make sense of what John says in, uh, in verse 27. Let's read that together. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But, has, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And on the surface, this seems a little strange. They, they don't need anyone to teach them? Sounds a little arrogant. But here's the context of this time. A lot of these antichrists, a lot of these false teachers, they were claiming to have a new revelation about Jesus. They were saying, hey, come, come over here, check this out. I've got this new knowledge, this new revelation about Jesus. It's only me, only I've got it, and I want to tell you all about it. And so in modern times, it might be like uh, one of the videos that you see on the internet that usually start with this phrase, forget everything you know about. Has anyone ever seen a video that starts like that? It usually pops up about the random, most random topics. It'll be like, forget everything you know about patio furniture. And it's like, what? And, and it's going to proceed to tell you how this new brand of patio furniture is just going to change your life. And how it is so durable or, or whatever they're going to say. Um, and usually you have to click and subscribe to a podcast. And, and again, they're, they're trying to get you, they're trying to lull you in saying, forget everything you've ever heard about patio furniture. It's all rubbish. And I know about patio furniture. And that's what these guys are trying to do. They're trying to say, hey, forget all of this, this, this stuff that you've learned from John, the stuff that's been written in the scriptures. I, I know what's going on. That's what these antichrists are trying to do. But John, he's, he's looking at these believers and he's pleading with them. He's saying, you already know the truth. You already have the scriptures. I've told you. I've written it down. I was with Jesus. I was there. I touched his hands after he came off the cross and was rose from the dead. I watched him do the miracles. He's saying, it's here in these scriptures where you can learn and know doctrine. He's telling us, do not be suckered in with clever sound bites that are shared with glamour and bright lights. Don't follow after these videos that say, forget everything you know. Again, we'll, we'll notice that John never says that we should protect ourselves by being really knowledgeable about all these antichrists. He's not saying, hey, you've got to really know everything. You've got to study up. Um, no, that's, 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 that's not 
how he's telling us to proceed. He says, know the truth, and once you know the real thing, you can spot the counterfeits. And you know what's so funny? Actually, our federal government uses the same principle. The Secret Service, when they're protecting our currency, um, they use this, this approach. Because every day, there's thousands of different people out there trying to make counterfeit bills. But the Secret Service, they're not out there trying to study all of those. They're just learning the real thing. What does a dollar feel like? What does it smell like? What is it, what, how does it crumple in your hand? And John is saying, know the truth as found in the Scriptures. Let's move on to, this, to the next principle that John gives us to help guide us. And that's the principle of anointing. In verse 20 and 27, John states that we have received an anointing. And he's wanting to remind us of two truths. That one, ultimately, it is God who has pursued us, loves us, and secures our salvation. Because the word anointing in the Old Testament, it was a, it was a word that, had, that sort of connotated that God had chosen someone and had set them apart. There was no merit. There was no qualifications when God did this. And the anointing mentioned by John, it, it represents the presence of the Holy Spirit after we place our lives and place our faith in Christ. And this should humble us. Because before, we're seeing a lot of us and them language. And there might be kind of like a little bit of an arrogant spirit, like, oh, man, check me out. I'm not, the, I'm not them. I'm over here. But this should humble us. This is not an anointing that we have earned or received, but it's by God's grace. We were dead in our trespasses, enemies of God, and yet God sent his son on our behalf. The scripture says that while we were still sinners, we weren't getting better. We weren't improving. We were still sinners, and Christ died for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, we read here, it says that it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and, he, and, has, he, and, oops, and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Again, God has done the work of establishing us in Christ and he's put the spirit in us as a guarantee. God has completed the work of salvation he has completed it, and then nothing can undo it. The second point is that this anointing is also, it's also a part of our daily life. It points us to the truth that we need to lean on the Holy Spirit as we navigate daily life. Because if the Christian life depends on my strength, my will, my ability to navigate these threats, I, I'm in big trouble. In John chapter 14, Jesus asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to be our helper. In verse 26 of that chapter, it says, the Holy Spirit will help teach us. He will bring things to our remembrance. And we need the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. We need him to protect us when these, when these temptations of deception come our way. In chapter 15 of John, the Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of truth. The presence of the Holy Spirit, it assists us as we read Scripture. It, it illuminates Scripture as we read it. So this brings us to our final piece of encouragement, abide. John is inviting us to abide 
in the hope of the scripture and in Christ. We see this in verses 24 and 27. Let this truth that we have heard from the beginning, not the new flashy stuff, allow it to abide in you. But, but what does that mean? What, what is, especially for the kids, what does abide mean? It means let it sink deeply and richly into your heart. The scripture is not just to be knowledge. It's not just to stay up here. It's to permeate our, our whole body. We need to allow the truth and the hope of God's word to find a home in our heart. We need, it to, we need to apply it and put it into practice. I think an illustration would be helpful. Growing up, when I would travel with my family, we would often stay at people's homes. So we would get there, and never, it would never fail. They would always say, make yourself at home. Has anyone ever heard this phrase, right? Make yourself at home. So I would hear that, and my eight-year-old self would say, well, great, let's go to the fridge. Let's see what's in here. I'd start pulling out food. I would go poking around the basement looking for toys, and, and I, I would take them at their word. I'm like, hey, let's go. Let's, let's, let's jump in. And nevertheless, my mom would always find me and say, come over here, put that down, shut the refrigerator. You know, we would, in fact, she would even uh, put a blanket over the bed. Sometimes we would not even sleep on the sheets because they'd be like, well, we don't want to mess up their bed. We'll sleep on, the, on this sheet that we brought with us. Because my mom would explain that while people say that, they don't really mean it. But the thing is, John is urging us. He's saying, no, no, no. Please allow God's word to make itself at home in your life. Abiding is giving God's word and the Holy Spirit permission to go anywhere it wants to in your lives. To provide correction, wisdom, instruction, rebuke. The hope and the truth that we read in Scripture, again, it's not just for our minds. It's to touch every part of our lives, how we love others, how we do our jobs, how we handle our emotions, how we treat our enemies, what we do with our thoughts, how we handle conflict. Because John, all along, he's been warning us of the dangers of a hollow faith. In verse, um, oops, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with God, but yet we walk in darkness, we've been deceived. And in chapter 2, verse 4, it says that if we know him, but we don't keep his commandments, we're a liar. So our Christian life, this abiding, it has both a confessional component where we are expressing our beliefs, but then it also has this component of living the truth out, letting the truth soak into every part of our lives. This last illustration is for the kids. Imagine someone comes up to you and says, I'm really good at making ice cream. Like, I'm really good. And so you say, okay, well, yeah, let's, let's have some. And then they make a batch of ice cream, and you try it. And you're like, this tastes like tomato soup. This, this, doesn't, this doesn't work. This isn't good. So you, that person tries again. And you're like, uh, it's still tomato soup. Uh, I don't know what happened, but it's still tomato soup. And then they try again, and you're like, I don't know. It's tomato soup again you might begin to wonder, do you even know what ice cream is? I, I, I don't know. You're, you're really off. This is not, not ice cream. And it's the same with our walk with Christ. We need to let God's word abide in us richly, that this truth would have full range in our hearts and lives. And John's warning about this because the stakes are high. And we want to end with this. We want to close by reading verse 
25. This is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. There are antichrists out there. They are looking and sounding good. They are making very clever promises, but they cannot deliver. Their promises are rooted in falseness. Their promises ultimately lead to death and separation from God. But knowing, knowing the doctrine of Jesus, knowing the truth about who he is, allowing that knowledge to change us, to bring us to salvation, brings us to that eternal life. And this is not just eternal life after we, after we die. This is daily life. This is yielding our lives to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to guide us, to provide comfort. Abiding in Christ allows us to walk and obey in him, to know what the commandments mean. It's desiring to honor God with our decisions. God is offering us eternal life, but that also means daily rich life in him. So again, in a world where attractive, deceitful deceptions are plentiful, and they are, John is, he's serious about this. He's saying, please know this. Hold fast to this. Don't let it go. Have confidence in this, that true life is found nowhere else than in the saving message of Christ found in the scriptures and nowhere else. But also the strength to move forward each day is found in the anointing work of the Spirit and continuing to allow Christ to abide, to permeate, to work itself out into our whole lives as he makes himself at home in our lives. That, that we need to hold fast to and to cling to. Let us pray. Lord, you are so good and, and you've given us your word that we would know it, that we would hold fast to it, that we would cling to it. God, and as we face deception, as we face a counterfeit gospel, those that would want to be a distraction, be a subtle distraction, Lord, that you would allow us to lean on your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would help us here at Redemption Peoria to hold fast to the scriptures and to hold fast to you. Lord, we love you. We need you this morning. Lord, point us towards your word. Amen.